0: This is the Investing Power Hour number 76 on Chit Chat Money. My name is Brett Schaefer, and I'm joined as always by Ryan Henderson today on these episodes, which again, we do live, but can also be recorded or are also recorded and are available on any podcast player of choice on Sunday mornings. These go live on Thursdays. So if you want to join, ask us questions, head on over to the YouTube channel, Ryan. How are you doing? You got stuck in about two hours of traffic this morning, but it looks like you have some fun topics for us. We're gonna, yeah, it really. Uh, it really
1: kerfuffled me. I was uh, unable to focus. Very, very infuriated. I felt like I felt like Dennis in Always Sunny in Philadelphia, just screaming at traffic.
0: But that episode, uh, that episode is very. <laughs> it's very in touch with when you get t- uh, stuck in traffic, you turn into a psychopath. But yeah. Or at least not just you, everyone. The Yeah, we're outside of earnings season right now, but it seems like there's a lot to talk about. We have the Disney Charter stuff. We had some Amazon news, maybe. Uh, I'd maybe like to talk about that. You have a couple anecdotes. And we're doing our rankings of worst acquisitions of all time. Can we maybe change that to dumbest acquisitions? I guess Fine that could me. be the same thing, but I would like to do. Basically, where the rationale didn't make sense at all.
1: Yeah, I'm okay with that. Uh, yeah. We we can do that because I don't know. Sometimes when we do like these worst acquisitions of all time, it's easy to just say like which ones went to zero or like and best part, yeah. acquisitions. <laughs> you could just
0: be like, oh, double click from yeah, yeah. <laughs> YouTube, Instagram. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything else. I guess the new iPhone came out, which really isn't much news. There wasn't anything new there. Like when they launched the Vision Pro. I guess yeah why don't we get started Ryan uh I'll tweet some I'll tweet out the link and say what we're going to be doing here and yeah well what's your first topic it looks like you have Instacart which is pricing their IPO and then we also have arm which we don't really know much about but it seems to be pricing at a very expensive valuation that SoftMake is trying to really really get over the line here
1: yeah it, it... The soft bank one doesn't make a whole lot of, or the arm one makes less sense to me, but the, the Instacart valuation or what they're targeting as their most recent IPO is like, I think it's a 26 to $28 share price, which comes out to a range of like 8.7 to 9.3 billion in terms of market cap. But I don't know, apparently it's a little complicated because a lot of the insiders are selling. So it's not going to the corporate balance sheet and um it just isn't totally clear what the fully diluted market cap is going to look like so assuming a nine billion dollar valuation that would put instacart at 22 times operating income which doesn't seem too crazy to me um and that's gap operating income so you know it's encapsulating stock-based comp there it's actually trade it would trade at like 15 times net income but it's there was this one time tax benefit last year that isn't going to be there on a normalized basis and so it feels like we have kind of a rational ipo market and to be honest i mean i looked at instacart and we kind of had differing views on the value proposition i think you you kind of called it crazy that people use this stuff but um i you know i, I think it's a pretty good business um and, and I know a lot of people that use it, it. It's kind of convenient for the average, for for the busy parent, that kind of thing. So I think they have upside, but certainly it's come in a little bit just with people not wanting to spend as much money on you know delivery of these kind of things. So growth has certainly slowed, but I, I think twenty two times operating income for a business. Where my thought here is that online grocery spend will grow over time. It feels a lot like the other marketplaces where you know with the uh, like with whether it's DoorDash, whether it's Airbnb, Uber, a lot of it is just proof of concepts or proof of people using it and then having the validation that oh okay this works. It's you know, it's a process that I can get used to. I think that kind of takes over over time and for me it it looks kind of attractive.
0: Yeah, I will comment on that, but I will say we have Julius Caesar back today in the comments. So thank you uh, for time traveling and visiting us today. And we had a good comment from Tyler saying that all five of the worst acquisitions are going to belong to Square. Which, <laughs> you know, I actually I don't might know. just prime, do
1: all- prime eBay might be worse.
0: That's true. That's true. Uh, if you look at the history of that. Uh, but let's not spoil any of our picks and let anyone steal others. So I think I kind of know what Ryan's is going to be as I was doing some research as well. But yeah, when I look at Instacart, I think that valuation makes sense. You know, 22 times, I think is saying basically, okay, this isn't the, I think it's showing that a lot of other investors have my concerns, which maybe is an opportunity there. If you're more optimistic, like, you know, Ryan is, but Here's one thing. I did a look. I I wrote a Motley Fool article on them, so I only read a little bit of the S1. But the one thing that concerns me, maybe I'll just pull up the article so I get the numbers right, is that the advertising, or excuse me, a lot of their revenue growth over the last, uh, looks like it hasn't been published yet. Well, okay. Well, it'll be published. But a lot of their growth over the last year and a half has really been from the advertising division. And... I think that opens them up, you know, it's not all of it, but a lot of the growth, especially a lot of the gross profit growth has come from the advertising division, which again, it's not entirely advertising, but I would say is most likely almost all advertising. And this could be, you know, promotions, whatever, it depends how you define advertising. I don't know how healthy of growth that is. Compared to a, you know, I worry that it might open themselves up from competition from Uber and Doordash, basically opening it up and saying, hey, look, we're getting a higher margin from our customers here. Maybe they're gonna go and compete in the marketplace. But, you know, these marketplaces are decent businesses. It would be pretty hard to compete with Instacart going forward if you wanted to start from scratch the same sort of business model. And I wonder if the market of them, Uber. And Doordash will get rational, but I think it's a big TBD on that front. What do you think?
1: I, I think it's going to be harder for people to move. I don't know. People keep having these worries that, like, oh, Uber will get into that if it's anything marketplace related. I think it's way. Well, they are for, in it. Yeah, but Instacart's the leader, and I think Instacart's going to grow its lead. Lyft was in the same market as Uber. I think the, I think the big names in their specific markets, food delivery, DoorDash, Uber, ride sharing, grocery delivery, Instacart will continue to be the leaders just from the name notoriety. Like when people think I want my groceries delivered, I think the first thing people go to is Instacart. Hey everyone, before we move on, I want to talk about our friend, Alex Morris. He founded the science of hitting investment research service and one of the benefits of being hosts on a podcast is that typically your sponsors will comp you the service that whatever they're selling they'll usually give you an example of the product alex did that for the first year with his product uh, a couple i think it was a couple of years ago and since then brett and i have both decided to buy it ourselves we are loyal followers of his service Alex spent a decade working as a buy side equities analyst before launching this thing and it is really really high quality equity research and he's 100% transparent with all his portfolio decisions I really think this is kind of the best you can get for his price right now it's $349 a year but earlier this week Alex announced a pricing change for the science of hitting investment research service the first increase since it really launched and the pricing change will go into effect on tuesday september 19th after the market close importantly all subscribers will be grandfathered in at their current subscription price in perpetuity so as i've mentioned before we're both longtime subscribers we highly recommend checking it out before those price changes go into effect on tuesday anyways i think that's enough brett anything to add
0: I would say that if you're listening to this episode, it is probably on Tuesday the 19th. So you should check it out today. If you like Alex, you've probably heard him on the show before. If you like his research, this is the time to to try it out, subscribe, and he grandfathered in with that lower price for life.
1: We really think it's worth the money. So check out the service at thescienceofhitting.com. That's thescienceofhitting.com.
0: Yeah and look that that sort of makes sense but um let me try to find a chart here of let's see yeah okay well if we look at eh, I can't find a good chart here going back to like 2015 but the food delivery shifted the dominant market player you know uh, quite drastically I mean Grubhub used to be the leader. And then Doordash came in, flooded the market with money. Yeah, Softbank might be a part of that because they just gave everyone billions of dollars, both Uber and Doordash. And now it's flipped and DoorDash dominates the market. And Uber Eats is second, and Grubhub is a distant third. So I don't, you know, I, I wouldn't count out Doordash and uh Uber here because yeah, Instacart definitely has the lead, but it seems like doordash is doing really really well with grocery although we don't have very granular data on that could be
1: yeah it could be maybe that's part of the reason for the slowdown they didn't really talk that much about and i was looking at the revenue year over year transaction revenue is still growing i think it was 13 percent year-over-year if i'm not mistaken in the most recent quarter and advertising was growing at like 20 percent. so it's off of a smaller base so i think nominally transaction revenue is probably still growing about on par with advertising it uh that that might be a reason for part of the slowdown the only thing that really concerns me and i needed to find some evidence to support this i, I had a feeling most ipo returns end up quite poor but i wasn't 100 percent sure so i wanted to confirm my bias um i found this chart i don't know can i share my screen
0: oh let me let me give you access
1: boom All right. It's and I'm sure the listeners should hate it when I say that, but the uh here's the distribution of IPO returns post IPO. And so after three years, 64% of IPOs are
0: down 10% or down
1: more 10%. I don't know if that's or to the versus index, the index
0: or still, I mean, yeah, underperforming. 29%
1: are greater than 10% return. So maybe this wasn't quite as bad as I was expecting, I guess. But the it just feels like you're at risk to lose a lot of money when investing in any of these things. Like I'm sure some of these were and I bet following 2021 it's going to distort some of these numbers because it's going to be like make it look 90%, worse. 90% yeah. if yeah. they include SPACs. Um I don't know. History just says to wait. Yeah. I, think I always that's get good... attracted to some IPOs. I'm al- I'm always the guy that says, don't buy IPOs. And then there's like that one IPO in my wheelhouse. And I'm like, oh, you know what? Maybe and it's like, just <laughs> don't do it.
0: I don't think, I don't know if Instacart's the one. Seems like they got a good executive over from Facebook though, or Meta. But yeah, I think a big example here is we've kind of utilized it with another company uh, that went public in 2021. We're like, hey, evaluation's a bit crazy here. We like this business we think it has some promise let's wait two years and the base rate would say or kind of i don't know if it's base rate, but basically if you look at the historical average you'd say all right the stock is probably going to be down and if you like the business and you think it has promise the stock could probably be be down after its ipo and the business could be doing just fine and that's what happened with us and that's why we think of an opportunity with one of those companies the same could happen with instacart and if the business continues to grow its earnings and the more it grows, which is nice about these marketplaces, as you're obviously well aware of Ryan, the more the the wider their competitive advantage grows. You know they could be trading at a pretty discounted valuation if you know the scenario plays out. So maybe the opportunity is there. but, yeah, IPOs generally, I think you gotta you gotta exude some patience there.
1: You know, who could be that one outlier, Birkenstock? They just filed their f one. Uh, here's the first sentence of, I think after the. they? are CEO they're foreign.
0: They're they're European.
1: Yeah. It Says we are serving a primal need of all human beings. All right, boom. I'm in. Don't say. <laughs> we say are a footbed company more. selling the experience of walking as intended by nature.
0: Oh, this yeah. This is
1: only the beginning.
0: That is perfection right there. I would say that that is going to have a premium valuation, and I'm never going to touch it because any sort of fashion and apparel is... I mean, we've looked at so many of those companies, and it's so unpredictable. Yeah, there's a few brands out there that have stood the test of time. Maybe Birkenstock is one of them, but man, it's such a tough industry, and I get so nervous looking at all these companies.
1: Hey, if it's anything like Crocs...
0: (sighs) It's going to have the most insanely volatile stock out there.
1: Hey, Crocs has been a massive outperformer over the years.
0: I know, I know, I know. It's, I wonder... Uh, if, the, last, the last 10 years, right?
1: I wonder if this thing's profitable.
0: Birkenstock, oh, it's got to be. If it's not, I'd be shocked. Crocs is actually down too um, this year. Maybe it's time to take a look at it again. We just actually, we had an interview with our friend, Jacob Franklin, discussing Crocs. If anyone wants to take a look at that, I believe that was like two months ago. But yeah, Ryan, do you, do you get the numbers are they are they profitable?
1: Just an EBITDA margins the first thing I'm saying. Uh 35% so I'm well, assuming hopefully. unless, <laughs> unless they're
0: unless they're granting 30% SBC as percentage of revenue. Yeah,
1: they're uh man, they got all these like predecessor successor income statement stuff uh makes it a little complicated. 6 months ending march 31st so the first six months of this year operating income was 106 no, 118 million on 644 million dollars in revenue
0: and what what's the value i heard the valuation is going to be 8 billion that would market be crazy. Cap, the, the market cap yeah
1: that's what i heard it's like 80 times earnings
0: well is that was that wait what was that 118 million for the for this year or six months
1: yeah but they have a on of interest expense. It looks like.
0: Mm, well, hopefully they raise some money and pay down that debt. Well, I, I, I hate saying talking about this type of stuff when I haven't read the S one. Maybe you know, it could be a fun theme to do a bunch of S ones. We could do Instacart, we could do Birkenstock, we could do Turo, and we could do Arm. That could be a fun month. But I don't want to do Arm. Yeah, that's actually way too hard. It's it's like. All right, we had this. Yeah, it's it's impossible to figure out.
1: We could do okay. a theme of most egregious S ones, or like most egregious TAMS.
0: Yeah, that could be that could be a fun one. Okay, we have a comment here from Tyler. Oh, why did I type that? Says a successful advertising scheme is hard to run. It's interesting that Instacart seems to have built one. Grocery cell space charges being a good analogy to carts advertising mini Instacart. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Like charging for shelf space. I think another example, which we, when we looked at Uber, we thought was probably the most bullish opportunity for them is promotions for the Uber Eats offering, which could also lead into their grocery stuff as well. Yeah. It seems like a very rational opportunity, very similar to Amazon. You just copy that sort of model. makes a lot of sense, but the big concern in that industry maybe as we wrap things up for me is that doordash is crazy that that's honestly my biggest concern could be I uh, mean, if you think have about, you ever listened to them they're crazy they think they're going to disrupt amazon
1: no i i really admittedly have not paid that much attention to them but the uh what was I going to say uh, if you think about it from a brand's perspective like i don't know pepsi or something like that If you can target someone at the point of the transaction when they're ordering stuff it seems like a very like very valuable digital real estate as you know as a place to kind of market to especially if you can get insights on like if they've added two bags of chips or a bag of chips to their cart promote pepsi that kind of thing it feels like just Kind of a a great place to be but yeah i'm not I mean, surprised it does well
0: yeah and this is not this would probably be different than the food delivery business where i would say it's like i i would worry that the business model is not that sustainable because uh, eventually the prices they're gonna have to pay these uh, delivery workers and the prices that restaurants are gonna want to you know, the margins don't make sense across the board sometimes with that business, but with grocery delivery, it seems like it could make a lot of sense. We have uh Andrew Marshall in the house. Thank you for joining again. We just had a nice call with them over a capital mindset. Speaking of grocery, we talked about Sprouts Farmer's Market, which will be up on their YouTube channel at some point in the near future. So we'll point anyone to that. Uh, so again, yeah, I don't know. We got some other comments in here. Did Anything you, else on Instacart? Or no.
1: Did you see this headline? that Disney CEO Bob Iger wouldn't give up his office to Bob Chapek because he loved the shower so much.
0: Yeah, he's, you know, there's a there's a few people out there that I used to admire a lot. And I've learned a lot about them in the last five years in the business world. I'll mention the others, I guess, because don't want to just disparage a bunch of people. But Iger has, he's, he's a bit unique. And I wonder about his ego.
1: I saw someone do like an edit. Where you know his book is called "Ride of a Lifetime," and they oh, were like yeah. round trip of a lifetime. <laughs> yeah,
0: like, uh, that was that was Romney, right? Uh, that yeah, book? I think so. Nice, nice friend on Twitter, good follow. I believe he's still living in India, so very great insights on that market. Uh, Let here's, me... oh, sorry, go ahead. Here is a tweet I put out, or a post, I guess you're supposed to call them now. Still going to call them tweets. All right, this is a double. I believe it's called a pair trade, but honestly, I don't really know the, the peer definition. I think you'll understand. So here, here, it is. First one: long Amazon, short Shopify, plus long Charter, short Disney.
2: What do you think? Does this outperform?
1: Don't know Charter well enough. I'm, I'm a fan of the first one. The thing that I don't know, like Disney sucks it's, it's my cheap opinion. though
0: it's pretty cheap right now
1: yeah but it feels like that's kind of priced in and the sentiment is i'm also always wrong on this whenever there's a business where i think long term the future is going to be all right and then all of a sudden the sentiment swings on it i'm always with the crowd i'm always like yep this is it's a shit code now like meta
0: yeah you're, i was you're, like yeah this yeah. is
1: uninvestable at the bottom and so you're, yeah yeah i kind of maybe I'm my own like Contra signal where I just kind of should, you know, check myself in these these times of certainty where I think Disney's screwed. And uh maybe, maybe it's a long good long-term investment from here.
0: Yeah, meta's a good one to learn from, I think, from there. I think it's an example of your sentiment is my opportunity. Maybe to to steal the Bezos quote. That can be, you know, for anyone that has high conviction in Disney right now, the sentiment is really poor. And I think if you're right. Like, look, I'm pretty bearish on ESPN. I really, I really am. But there's a lot of other people that are. And if you're right, I mean, forward returns could be really, really strong if they start generating consistent cash flow again.
1: Yeah, the thing is, it's it's going to, from my view, it's not like the sentiment is just so far off base because of previous financial results. It's going to take, I would imagine, a real shift in strategy and like a change in execution for this. to work out so you kind of have to ask yourself is bob Iger the right guy to do it yeah and that's where i kind of lack belief is it it felt like he was the right guy over the last decade but really he left this kind of bag of crap for the successor and then he kind of comes in trying to act act all like a hero it just doesn't seem i don't know yeah you can see how you can see where the cracks were when he left but you yeah, didn't see him while he was there
0: yeah 100 percent. and look this this new deal they did with charter really shows that they're losing their leverage i think and it's going to be a tough needle to thread but we talked about disney i think for like four straight shows even the one that that i wasn't on even though i did listen to that talk with uh jason so maybe we should go to another topic. Here's a question from Tyler says, or one more thing, Ryan, you have another thing to add before we switch? I had a different topic, but let's let's hit the questions. Okay. He said, I'm excited for your guys' Adyen coverage. Yeah, we're going to be covering that in three weeks. It's going to be perfect timing since the stock has kind of collapsed here recently. Have you guys looked into PayPal? Are you going to cover it briefly in the Adyen podcast? I'm sure we're going to talk about that during the competitive section, but we did recently do a not so deep dive on... PayPal. Let me try to figure out what month it is so people can figure it out in their podcast player or on YouTube, but I believe it was back in June during our payments month. Um, yeah, Ryan, any thoughts on PayPal? Uh, yep, June 6th. All right, so everyone just kind of search it through there, you'll find it on June 6th.
1: Well, I'm I'm a little bit skeptical. I think the threat from the mobile payments provider so the the Apple Pay's the Google pays, that kind of stuff is a little, some people have dismissed them, but I think it's real. And I think as more people, I mean, it's certainly been, they've been stealing share in terms of transactions. That's kind of no secret, but I think the more people use them at point of sale systems, the more comfortable they're going to feel using them at checkout digitally. So I think they will steal a lot of share from PayPal branded checkout. That's kind of my concern
0: yeah i mean google pay is so nice dude it's so nice i mean because especially if you use chrome for all your browsers it just automatically updates your card once you put it in for everywhere and then all you have to do is use your fingerprint or whatever id you want to use and boom you can pay for something
1: well you're gonna have to be an apple
0: pay guy now no i actually you know what? what's interesting is uh if we want to talk about anecdotes on iphones i did switch and i do have some anecdotes on that i would say there's some things that are better some things that are worse uh, across both, as people might expect, Google Pay I would say is significantly better than Apple Pay. Apple Pay was a little clunkier. Google Pay was it was nicer. I actually, re to Google Pay, and I use that instead because specifically when I'm on my other devices, you're on Google Chrome, it updates automatically. But, but in, in our, the end of the day,
1: you're you're an iPhone user now.
0: Yes, that is correct.
1: You want to give some some anecdotes? Mm. What do you think? A couple well, weeks in, you've been, uh, <laughs> you've been on the other side of the war for a while. Yeah,
0: I know. It could give some good perspective. Uh, let's see. One thing that I thought was interesting is they make WhatsApp way worse on iPhones than they do on Android. So I think Meta probably has some gripes on that. Um, and definitely that's because Apple does it on purpose. Other one, the blue messages thing is what? like, I don't know. I don't, I don't I don't. understand the hype, but maybe it's because I'm not really, a, I just use messaging for, you know, not much. I don't know. I just use it for information. <laughs> I am not much of a messenger. You message,
1: uh, you message for functionality. Yeah, not for yeah,
0: exactly. Other people seem to be quite happy about it, but I don't really get it. Uh, but whatever, they seem to be happy. So, you know, good for them. Uh, let's see. What other things are better? i mean i would say i don't like the face id thing versus the thumbprint i like thumbprint much better i think it's much easier and the face id kind of like turns on after a while i've been a hater about that for a while the android the new androids basically have like the thumbprint it's not like a thing on the back it's like on the on the screen you just push it right in the middle way better i think it's much easier to see what's better on android when coming over versus worse right because it's it's much easier to realize oh this is way worse uh, i'm gonna have to deal with this forever now but i don't know what's better
1: what was the switching process like
0: i guess the photos are obviously better right with that stuff they're really yeah. much better at that the switching process well i did lose my phone so it's way worse but i know that when you have the other phone it it, it is easy they can do that at the store for you but for me, I did lose everything. So yeah, but the, photo, the photos are much better, which I think is kind of the key thing Apple focuses on, right? The camera, the, the cameras are pretty much the same, but people think that the Android ones are worse because they make the images qualities worse when you send them over to an Apple product. But the actual photos app and all that sort of stuff with sharing and stuff like that is much, much better than an Android. And I think that's probably where Apple succeeds and that's one of their differentiators which seems like a simple thing but i guess people care about that a lot right it's probably the most important thing for people's phones
1: okay little quick topic switch here a couple weeks ago we went and we did the uh biggest signs of the bubble like biggest top signals and it was kind of like really the stupidest things that happened during the bubble if if something were to happen again like Like a 2021 situation where pretty much, I don't know if it was really tech specific, but it kind of felt like an everything bubble. What are the signals that you would look for to really feel like, okay, this is irrational exuberance. We need to peel back and make actual changes.
0: Ooh, or Are you talking about like a general bubble or any other, any other bubble, any bubble? Because, mm. I mean, you, you could argue that the AI stuff is is a tiny bit of a bubble because there, I mean,
1: a real, something that's going to impact the indexes, oh, which okay. like yeah. where equities really feel like they're in a bubble. Is there anything where, are there any signals that would really tell you that?
0: Well, I think one signal that's here today is there's one, usually a story stock within a bubble or two that- And this is with the broader bubbles and with the micro bubbles as well, where there's always one story stock that people say, you got to buy to get in on this theme. Obviously, that one today is NVIDIA. If you look back at the tech bubble in the 90s, it would have been Cisco and Microsoft and Oracle. And who's the fourth?
1: Qualcomm, maybe?
0: Qualcomm. Yep. Yep. And then if you look at some of the mini bubbles like cannabis, Tilray, the... 3d printing bubble there was oh what was that one that one that is the last part of it is like systems there, there was a there was one there was a story stock on the 3d printing bubble and if we look at some of the other ones right uh what are the other mini bubbles from recent years ah whatever but yeah there, i think a story stock is one of the key points there that kind of gets me nervous today with nvidia but it doesn't seem like that has proliferated to the entire market
1: um yeah that's harder to quantify though i I mean like i don't know a story stock i
0: think it's
2: i think it's pretty easy to see when there's a story stock
1: yeah but just like a single story story stock does not mean it's it's widespread you know what i mean oh yeah
0: yeah right 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 it doesn't mean it's widespread yeah that's just one factor i would look for
1: Yeah, one of the ones that came to mind for me and probably inspired the question was the sheer number of IPOs in 2021. And I'm sure the sheer number of IPOs in 1999 was very similar, where having that jump that quickly should be a big indicator that capital is too easy to come by for some of these companies. So, I mean, in 2021, it was... I think there was like a thousand companies that went public and the year before it was like a hundred. Yeah.
0: Like I'm trying to get a chart. Um, oh, Okay. Well, this is a table. Hopefully do they have a chart in here? Yeah. It's just a large paper, but let me read it off this table here in, if we look at number of IPOs, let's go. Yeah. Number here. So let's go to 1991, 286, 1996. 66677 and actually that was the peak then 1997 474 1998 283 1999 476 2,000, 3.80, 2001.
1: 80. now if you look at well this
0: is going to be of the hotel um well I think there was other signs that were <laughs> pretty clear with wasn't the NASDAQ trading at 100 times earnings the if we look at it here uh, it kind of doesn't show the 2021 bubble as clearly because it has 2020, 165, 2021, 311, but wasn't there a thousand specs that went public? So th- those aren't included here.
1: Okay, let's, let's rephrase the question then. Let's say you think we are tilting really far towards greed and we're getting tons and tons of IPOs, valuations feel stretched on, the NASDAQ, maybe even the S&P, people are quoting stock as currency. So they're like, well, they can just keep issuing stock and then raise money. What would you change relative to what you did last time portfolio-wise? Well,
0: definitely. If I think the way we've thought about it looking forward as kind of a postmortem of any sort of mistakes is one. If something gets extreme from a valuation perspective, which from our case, it would be like, okay, we bought it at a price we think is pretty reasonable, like we think it can get 15% returns going forward, blah, 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 but then it goes up 200% in a year or 150%, we would definitely trim a lot of that. I think that's part of our strategy is, okay, look, regardless of the tax hit, regardless of whatever if the thing gets extreme we're going to trim and then second is just focusing on valuation very intensely during that time period or like trying to buy stuff that is more optically cheap more maybe value oriented during that time period because i think that's kind of how you save yourself we wouldn't uh, shorting is dangerous during that time period um just sitting on the cash on the sidelines also seems dangerous, but maybe not today, as you can get five percent on your cash. But but at the time, I mean,
1: you couldn't just you couldn't just say, "Well, shit's expensive, so I'm gonna go." I should probably stop. Sorry, you can't just say stuff's expensive, so I'm gonna go into fixed income at the time because you're getting literally
0: one percent. Yeah, or less. Or yeah, one percent. Yeah, I think I think that's the key is is making sure your portfolio you don't have to sell out of an entire position, but if something gets extreme, you should probably trim it down. Maybe, maybe. Like I think that's it, and we're not talking about okay, the stock goes up 50%, sell the whole thing. That's clearly a mistake, especially if you're buying a long-term compounder. But if something is ex is extreme on a valuation front, I think like you can't just be like, oh, I'm just gonna pretend like nothing happens. I'm just you know, I'm just gonna throw a blind eye. My philosophy is never so. Like you have to look reality in the face there. Um, what's a good example?
1: The other thing I don't think we appreciated enough was the like how correlated the trading would be between a lot of our positions. And I don't know if that's that, true. Like we just had a ton of tech exposure. And yeah, they're all different businesses, but they all traded really similarly, which I don't know maybe you could just say well if you have a long term horizon who cares but it feels I don't know like maybe having different industries and exposure to different because the the purchasing habits are going to be different in those industries so you might get a little I don't know you might be able to capitalize and sell some of your Philip Morris when your match group plummets through the floor and you could purchase you can sell some and purchase the other one whereas everything we had or a lot of what we had was coming down at the same time as everything else. So it was, it was harder to kind of evaluate that opportunity cost.
0: Yeah. And it takes years to build up the muscle here and we're still have a goal of kind of building up this muscle and it doesn't have to be exactly how we're doing it, but I think you can get in trouble if you only target a certain factor portion or a sector of the market where a lot of people that are listening to this individuals will target technology, consumer technology, and large caps, right? Even if you're Where, not doing it on purpose. even Yeah. yeah. And we, we did that as well. It's a mistake a lot of early investors make. We have made that mistake. And I think trying to build up a muscle of the one we're kind of trying to target at is micro cap, small cap, deep value, and we're trying to learn how to be better at that. we made, I think, you know, one good investment there, one bad one, or maybe two good and one bad one. We'll see. TBD, right? I think building up those different types of muscles can be very helpful because a lot of the times, when say large cap or the E6 example is the most recent in 2021, when these stocks just went crazy. A lot of them are up 100%. The buying opportunities are very terrible. You know, there's nothing really to buy in that industry. You're probably going to want to trim down those positions if you own them. But deep value micro cap and deep value small cap looked pretty attractive if you could find the right opportunities there. So I think having those two, like being very flexible, being able to go after different types of the market or different parts of the market can be helpful to maybe, you know, if you sell something, okay, I can't just have it sit in cash here, but I can actually go deploy it into something that looks, uh, you know, attractive from a valuation from a risk reward perspective at the time. Yeah, I think that makes sense. All right. Um, Easier said do- than done though, where it's, it's taking us multiple years to, <laughs> it's hard to, to learn to get better at that. It's not something that you can say, oh, I'm going to buy small caps now. Deep value, you gotta. You really gotta learn.
1: All right, we do have a couple comments from Tyler in the chat. What do you guys see as the future of the media landscape—a complete unbundled streamer world, or bundles of streamers? Will the internet/slash cable companies own the bundle/slash customer relationships? Thanks.
0: No clue. Beats me. (laughs) No idea. That's why I'm not touching the industry like video games a bit more. But I don't. Traditional media space is. Is tough. Well, I think you could say we like video games more than media, you know, video games might be a little, still don't uh, like them
1: that much, but yeah. And it, I think the longer that we've owned video game businesses, the less we've grown to like, or in my case, the less I've grown to like them. Um, And I think a lot of that is just dealing with the creative talent is difficult. Like you really have to, spend a lot of money to have them. You got to keep them really happy. And there's just a lot of problems that come with that. But on the linear media side, I don't know. It feels unsolvable for me.
0: Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. And yeah, I we've talked about this a lot. I don't really want to talk about it again because I don't I don't know. And I think that's why you probably need a big discount when looking at some of these companies.
1: Okay. Do we want to do Mount Rushmore of dumbest acquisitions?
2: Sure, sure. I didn't write anything down, but neither did I. You go first. Okay. uh
1: I wish I had more time to prep. Uh, I'll, I'll take, I'll take Square with Afterpay. I thought it was really ridiculous.
0: All right, that's a good first one. I am going to go, and people might. I guess we are talking about Disney again. Disney acquiring Fox. Yeah, that's a good one. Seventy bill, right? 70 and you know billion. what's
1: okay? There was a comment about this in the in the chat. He, Bob Iger, made good acquisitions, but if you Intel make Fox, if Fox. you <laughs> make three good acquisitions at twenty billion dollars a piece, and then you blow it on a seventy billion dollar acquisition, I mean, you got it. With the acquisitions, I think he I think he kind of ruined his reputation with that Fox acquisition, and he ruined his track record.
0: Yep. All right. What's your next one, man?
1: I'm trying to think of some of the ones from last year where it just, the time did not make any sense.
0: (laughs) What about FTX? Any, anything from FTX, right? Or maybe we should say that that was just crazy.
1: Did FTX buy a bunch of stuff?
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I didn't even know that. They took like a stake in Robinhood or maybe that was SPF's personal thing. I think they bought Voyager. Someone they they got tricked into buying this company called Voyager that was completely bankrupt and a huge liability from a credit perspective. But that could be the wrong name there. Yeah, I mean they were just on drugs and honestly, whatever they do, a document that I'm really hoping that book is is good. Yeah, but
1: I mean everyone, all these everything in like on Google is all about like the dot com stuff, which I bet the Time Warner AOL one was horrible, but just really wasn't around.
0: To know yeah, how I dumb mean, that was. You know.
1: What's the one at&t just did?
0: With Time Warner? <laughs> yeah. It was Time Warner. It wasn't Time Warner AOL. It was t Time Warner. I mean, that one's pretty bad. You want to take that for your second?
1: I think, yeah. I think the the ones where you try to get into a new industry by just making a splashy acquisition, just I would be surprised if there's any examples of those that went really well.
0: Yep. I would agree. Now Tyler is taking my second one here and it is going to be title from block. Uh, I would qualify that as not the largest you know incineration of capital after that, that was much larger but title was dumber is dumber than, than dumber. after pay it's dumber than after pay but obviously it's not going to have as big of an impact on shareholders. All right. what's your third? I'm hoping I got one as my third that
2: I hope you don't take. Let's see were there any
1: horrible ones from oh locker room spotify
0: <laughs> yeah 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 that's dumb talk yeah. about
1: just chasing the trend and i think we were <laughs> too blind to see this for a while
0: at least just 50 million yeah at least it was yeah just- it was small but it was dumb <laughs> it was yeah clearly dumb
1: they it feels like they always just kind of tried to skate wherever things were popular live audio I, i'm it's so funny to me that that's just been such a flop people were saying it's like like it's going to replace social media
0: yeah that that was hilarious remember when we tried to we were like okay let's download the app see what this is all about and it was just empty it (laughs) was totally empty it was me uh, you
1: it was like we're doing like a phone call it was a little crappy quality and then some random person hopped in it was like what's going on in here i was like okay this is weird. Yeah, that was a bad one. All right,
0: all right. Here's my third, and you're gonna you're gonna groan when I take this one. Altria and Jewel. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. That that was uh, they tricked him. They really tricked him. They knew they had these liabilities coming because they were targeting ads to teenagers with nicotine products, and they dumped a bag on them for thirteen billion dollars.
1: What's the other one that they bought? Uh, Kronos.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Can we, you want to double dip on that one?
1: Yeah. That one was stupid too.
0: Okay. I'm curious
1: I'm... if, if enjoy will end up that way too.
0: My yeah, va- va- reaction market is tough. yes. Yeah. Vaping such a hard market. Uh, okay. My last one. Unless did you take that or for Kronos or no?
1: Yeah. I feel like, I'm forgetting about some like I feel like Meta's probably had some bad ones throughout history. Hot
2: take Oculus.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's probably been one of the biggest like after after the acquisition. It's probably been one of the most wasteful acquisitions.
0: Yeah. Hot take Oculus. I I honestly I could get behind that. My last one's gonna be the ebay and microsoft are actually well i would say microsoft nokia it, could, it was let me see what year that was
2: when did microsoft acquire this is great audio
0: nokia all right google 2014 five years at least five years after the iphone became popular they bought nokia i mean are you kidding Microsoft did? Yeah. It was for
1: $7 billion. And then came the biggest, uh, well, I don't know if this is at the same time, but the biggest hilarious soundbite from Steve Ballmer of no one's going to ever buy the iPhone. No one's ever going to pay for that. Real business is done on the BlackBerry.
0: Yeah, that's true. Did you watch that BlackBerry movie? I watched it on a plane the other day. No, I didn't pretty good for if you if you for investors investors would like it then the the guy that plays dennis and always sunny is the one of the main characters so
1: yeah we've got some uh some comments in the chat whole foods no nah, that was fine that's fine i don't think it was that bad yeah oh i guess this wasn't like a corporate tie-up but twitter yeah that's got to be one of the most wasteful elon buying it
0: <laughs> yeah, hey, hey, who knows? The turnaround story's coming. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's clearly clearly at this moment, it's clearly bad. I mean, revenue was down 60%. And what's interesting is that a lot of the was his own fault, I think. But TBD. I think the story's not over with that, but yeah. yeah. The
1: interesting part is like it just feels unmonetizable. I think the subscription business ended up being okay. But I would be surprised if that's really helped that much financially. And he's made a ton of changes, which is what Twitter was unwilling to do prior to him coming in. And it feels like the changes really haven't made that big of a difference. It's, yeah. a, it's a little bit of like, eh, it's kind of ruining the experience a bit, but whatever. I'll stick with it because everyone's on here. You 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 made a Threads account. Has anything happened over there?
0: <laughs> Uh, it's pretty empty, but it's because we're starting from scratch and I literally just made it yesterday. So uh, the damn light is so, <laughs> it goes crazy. The uh, well, the listeners right. can't see you. <laughs> yeah. The, it just changes. Like, I don't know what's up with it, but it's, it's fairly empty and we made it yesterday. I just made it for the Chit Chip Money account, which again, if anyone's actually on there, go download, follow us, check it out. But seems fine. Like it it's pretty bare bones at the moment. But what's interesting is that the products actually work because a lot of the Twitter stuff is so buggy now. uh, It's very frustrating. So I I would, I'd rather have a threads succeed compared to Twitter, but I think we're going to hedge our bets with both.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I think that concludes most of the Mount Rushmore. What out of the companies we've owned, what's the biggest, like, I wish you didn't buy that
2: the years Match well the, <laughs> maybe with uh,
0: hyperconnect oh acquisitions yeah hi, yeah it's hard though it's just tough timing on that it didn't seem that crazy at the time but clearly they were getting caught up in the pandemic
2: bullwhip i trying to think through all the companies
1: I mean uh, Autodesk, you, know, you know who went a bunch of had. buying sprees when we owned them was wix
0: they bought a ton of companies right small a lot of small ones that were like man like uh. <laughs> could work i guess yeah i'm sure you're paying 30 times sales for this and it's not profitable but you know what it's, there's synergies for the e-commerce and and payments platform right yeah have
1: you seen all this i, I find this kind of funny because on the wall street journal there's been a lot of coverage about spotify's wasted money on on podcasts and there was actually a podcast that came out from the journal podcast which is co-produced with gimlet who is owned by spotify about how much money spotify has wasted yeah which i find kind of interesting but i did not realize i don't know i guess just how careless they were being with some of these efforts like telling the teams do whatever you can to get listens. Don't worry about cost.
0: Yeah. It just, what's interesting is that they it, they're a little bit behind the timeline because they've switched that strategy say six months ago, but obviously there's still going to be a few years of, you know, like it, it it's not going to they, they can't just eliminate those costs overnight.
1: Yeah. I do stand by the fact though, that this Spotify has an operating expense problem, not a cost of revenue
0: problem. Yeah. What sucks is that the like the bear, uh, the bears have been right on Spotify, but for the wrong reasons, like I always say, I'm like, no, that's not why the stock, it just frustrates me in that regard, but you know, whatever, make money, make money.
1: There has been, I think that's been probably one of my biggest hiccups over the years in my own stock ownership where with stocks I own, I'll often see bears with takes that don't make any sense or takes that I disagree with. And I'll think that's wrong. And as if that's justification for continuing to own something that isn't worth owning because the the opposite side is wrong. So I must be right. It was like Spotify had all these bad, bear takes in my opinion there you know people saying like they got to own all the content on there that kind of stuff they have to be netflix what i disagreed with all that but at the end of the day the problem was they just hired too many people and they yep. spent too much money when they didn't need to
0: yep yep all right yeah that's all they agree no no further no further comments uh anything else do you it Am-
1: I got a question here. Ooh, Do you guys have any thoughts about Amazon trying to dominate the entire end-to-end
0: logistics of third-party commerce? Tyler was reading my mind because that was a back. That was exactly what. Uh, oh, he said I had a great tweet about it. I did think that was funny. Did you see that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I saw that.
1: Yeah, sorry, I was nodding my head and drinking, <laughs> so I didn't want the microphone to. Pick okay, all that so
0: here, here's what the blog post. just scroll through my tweets and find it hopefully you can't hear me scrolling. All right. So new product from them says, here's the headline, introducing supply chain by Amazon, an automated solution to help sellers quickly and reliably ship products around the world. Okay. So I think there's a lot of paragraphs in this blog post and it's not going to be good audio if I just read it, but basically they're saying, okay, we're not going to be your manufacturer in asia and mexico and the united states wherever but we can connect you with that and we can basically okay say you like you you make a contract with this manufacturer in vietnam we can manage all of that for you take your inventory manage it as we get it across the ocean some of that's going to be on our own stuff some of that's going to be on you know like a Merck or oh, what's that what are their ships called whatever the giant shippers whoever those companies are and we're going to do it for you. And then as we get to the United States, we're going to hop it on our own network. And we're going to basically do end to end vertically integration here. And we can manage all of that for you. And they're saying, um, let's see, what's the stat they had about it being 25% cheaper? Yeah. Okay. So if we look at their Amazon Global Logistics offering, which again, there's a lot of different offerings here, but essentially they're kind of extending further back into the supply chain. So they're going more vertically integrated here. They said their new pricing now reflects a discount of up to 25% on all cross border transportation that is bound for Amazon warehousing, further reducing costs for selling partners using supply chain by Amazon. They also had another stat here that FBA, which is fulfillment by Amazon, they're, they're more closer to, you know, once they get to the warehouses in the United States has become a very valuable service for our selling partners, offering a fast and reliable fulfillment service. That is, and this is the important part, on average, 70% less expensive than other fulfillment services. So I think what's interesting is they're making it so cheap that this can be a real growing advantage for them where people can, you know, those costs in the back end are gonna be cheaper. So now they can sell on Amazon at a cheaper price, still make a profit. I think that makes it a bit similar to Costco.
1: It's beautiful moat.
0: Yeah. And for anyone that doesn't reference it, the tweet was give me a shareholder base with a long enough time horizon. That I can vertically integrate the world. I think that kind of sums up what they're trying to do here. It's their, what's interesting. I thought they didn't really have much vertical integration left, but they, they're, they're still really going after it. It's ambitious.
1: Yeah. They continuously find new ways to kind of expand their infrastructure moat, which I would, would you, have been i mean they are gonna oh, i can i can picture a world where they're shipping everything and that would be nice
0: <laughs> would, would you be surprised if they bought a what do they call those the, the giant ships i forget the names on you know the the freight my liners the giant ones would you would you be surprised if they bought one of those
1: i'm gonna say yeah just because i would prefer they did it on their own they, they've never really done that before right in terms of when they build out their fulfillment network it's never been through acquisition it's always primarily been through we're gonna build it ourselves
0: oh yeah no so no oh, i you would mean say like a specific literally ship? A, a literally not a not a company but you know getting a ship I think that would be a yeah. bit I would get a bit nervous about that but I wouldn't be surprised right because a lot of the no. stuff's coming from different areas of the world and you can say look you hop on our ship you're part of the network do they have it's, their own ports? No I think that's not gonna happen That would be quite quite hard. Or maybe even their own sub segment of a port. I I I
1: don't know. Given how much they process in terms of volume, it wouldn't surprise me if they had their own. There'll be a world with with their own ships, their own ports, the own Amazon mailbox. I mean, there is there is like Amazon mailboxes at these uh apartment complexes, big apartment complexes now.
0: Yeah, it's pretty nice. And other shippers use it, but Amazon powers it. Like other shippers can use it, but they're the ones that power the the thing yeah i've lived in a place that had that before i mean you know people might be like oh they're not gonna buy a giant ship but they have a fleet of like 100 planes now and i don't think it's that crazy to get into that market although it's a bit more expensive yeah yeah, it's interesting i'd say i'd say it's quite interesting and it it would be so hard to switch off of them now right as a supplier and here's actually oh wait one other thing from this note that I think was important is that they're now allowing you to get managed by Amazon, even if you're not, if, even if those products are not meant to be sold specifically on Amazon. So you can have your inventory, all your supply chain managed by Amazon, but you can have it managed for stuff that's getting sold on your Shopify store, stuff that's going to get sold at your in-person store and stuff that's going to get sold at your wholesale retailers. and that's going to get sold on amazon.com. So they're expanding from not, you know, traditionally, the stuff was really only available for amazon.com.
1: Yeah, I love that. It's, I mean, we talked about it, I want to say a year ago, where it's like they, every time they sacrifice a little bit of margins, that, that moat just gets wider and wider. And it becomes so hard to compete with them. They, I would say their moat in shipping and fulfillment is one of the. Is, maybe we should do a Mount Rushmore of moats because I think that might be up there for me.
0: <laughs> We've done that before, I think, when we used to have Ian and Brad join the show. Which, for any longtime listeners, we are having Brad Freeman back on for an interview on Sofi coming out next week, which will be very fun. The yeah, I think we did that before, or maybe it was like just vague, and we said best businesses, but we could come back and try to reanalyze best moats and. Yeah, I think a little teaser, my number one
2: would be Visa, but
1: I'm a fan of that company. Yeah, Visa is definitely up there. They're all going to be I just, good. I'm if you reluctant do, if you it, to put yeah. anything that's digital, a digital-based moat, I'm reluctant to have that be the number one. Because I think with Amazon, it's way harder. There could maybe be some way digitally to circumvent Visa or Google's moats or maybe regulatory problems. But hey, with the all physical, the co- all right, go ahead. it's Im- like, I don't know if anyone has the money to replicate the physical infrastructure that Amazon has built.
0: Yeah, no. And clearly it's strong, but I would, maybe this is a tease on what the debate would be, but Visa has got attacked by numerous governments around the world to try to defeat them and they can't. So if there was
1: a global coalition, it's possible.
0: <laughs> yeah, if every country in the world decided that, yeah I, I actually don't think i, I honestly would say i, I honestly it. don't i don't know if uh i don't know if they would win because h- how do you even like what are you going to do get all the cards out of circulation what are you going to do get all this new thing on 200 million merchants like crypto. Yeah, whatever <laughs> yeah okay i hope please yeah let's spread we need a new like crypto obviously isn't going to tank these anymore we need a new narrative that tanks the stock uh like buy now pay later so i can finally. Pitch it, and we could buy some some shares.
1: Andrew says a moat that requires that much capex is such a better moat than a lot of software, in my opinion. I think that's right. With the I, network on Visa, I think you can make the argument. But yeah, uh, those physical moats to me are such a huge advantage.
0: Yeah, I can get around that. I can get around that. I, I, I definitely see that argument. The other part um, is like,
1: let's say I gave you. 300 billion dollars and you can build the infrastructure you want to try to compete with Amazon. It might take more money than that. Even with that money, you have to have the expertise and the logistics prowess to really build a a physical network that works. And I I just think there's zero chance if if you gave me all the money in the world that I can make that happen.
0: Even if you gave it to the X. Like an ex Amazon executive to do to copy, like, and plus over the Amazon's not gonna like you could copy what they are today, but it would take you multiple years, and then you're you're still behind them. It's similar to Taiwan Semiconductor. You could argue, excluding geopolitical risk, they're one of the tightest moats along with Samsung in the foundry space. Yeah, I mean that's a good one. We we could do a full show really describing all these sort of things, but yeah. Oh, one thing I would say is, did you see that the Flexport? All that flexport stuff with the amazon ce or ex executive like leaving and the whole debate debate around that
1: oh i saw that yeah they're they, so like they were firing people after saying that they were hiring them or something
0: so okay the the founder left brought on an amazon exec that used to work in kind of a similar space where flexport is trying to be a supply chain that company really don't know their business model but then apparently the founder did not like what this guy was doing so he came back and took over the company, blamed the Amazon guy for a lot of stuff that, you know, mistakes they made. <laughs> what what if this guy was just a mole to defeat Flexport from the start? I, I honestly, no. that that's, that's my conspiracy.
1: Was Flexport the one that did the deal with Shopify? That got spun yeah. out? That yeah. was okay. Oh, yeah. I, logistics, I would hate to be an upstart logistics company.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a great way to end it. Thank you for the people joining. Remember, this goes live typically Thursday mornings, 9.30 a.m. Pacific time, 12.30 Eastern. You'll watch the replays on YouTube and catch the live chat where we have the questions. You can also listen on your favorite podcast player of choice, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever those come out Sunday mornings. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. For the disclosure here, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or a recommendation. We're general partners at Arch Capital, and the clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you, everyone, again, and we'll see you next time.